from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us here on AutoLine this week, where the discussion is going to be all about automotive mobility services, what they call mobility for short. And we're going to get to the bottom of what that all means because I've got three experts with me today, including Chris Baroni Bird, the Vice President of Strategic Development at a company called Qualcomm, a technology company, Jean Francois Tremblay, the Advanced Mobility Leader at the Global Automotive Center for Ernst and Young, and Jim Sayer, a research scientist with the University of Michigan's Transportation Research Institute, and it's great to have all three of you here. A word to everybody here. Jean-Francois has a little bit of a hoarse throat, but we're going to work through that. Thanks, Jim. You know, I I hear a lot of experts in the field talk about mobility. In fact, I've even heard them say that in the future, we will not even buy cars. We're going to buy mobility. And I'm not sure I fully understand what that means. Chris, what's all this talk about mobility? From your vantage point, what does this mean? Well, I have to be careful because in the um, telecommunication space, mobility means something different than it does in the uh, transportation space. But this is the focus of this discussion is around transportation. So I think what we mean by mobility is just the you know, physical movement from point A to point B. And we normally associate that with uh, you know, taking a bus or a taxi or, or having a personal car or bicycle. And I think what's happening um, in the field of electric vehicles, connected vehicles, autonomous vehicles is going to lead to a transformation in how we move around in the future and how these, these different uh, products on the marketplace, they will be connected together wirelessly and operate as a seamless system. And I want to get into more detail, but I want to get uh, Jean-Francois' uh, yeah. take on wh- what is this concept of mobility from your vantage yeah, point? Yeah, John, I think yeah, <clears throat> to add up, <clears throat> what we have is a, a system in which um, uh, the mobility creates a synchronized um, percep- perception, a synchronized opportunity to, tr- to move people and goods in a much more coordinated way in an ecosystem that is more respondent, responding and, and able to adapt to, to these. Um, the goal is obviously to optimize the utilization of, of vehicles. Very good. And Jim, same question to you. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think it's going to be, you know, the end of personal vehicles. There will be, you know, needs for getting personal vehicles, let's say, closer to the larger ecosystem. Uh, and then maybe from that point, you're going to take um, a, a bus or, or a shared vehicle. Uh, I think we will see a lot more in, in the way of shared vehicles in terms of getting people from point A to point B. But that's a relatively novel idea re- compared to what we do now with our own personal vehicles, other than something like Zipcar. Mm-hmm. And Chris, I think you were getting at that very thing. We're, we're going to use cars differently or maybe own or pay for them differently than we do today. I think so. I think um, you're seeing uh, both the uh, extremes of the age spectrum um, things that are changing the relationship between people and and cars. Uh, Younger people are are holding off getting a driver's license, uh, delaying when they purchase a car. You're seeing that in many countries around the world. Older people are in danger of losing the ability to have personal mobility in the sense of uh, not being able to drive anymore. And these these, uh, trends, if you want to call them that, are going to force some changes on the auto industry. And I, I agree that the shared vehicles um, address the affordability issue of cars, and autonomous vehicles can address the challenges of mobility for the disabled and the aged population. So I think there are some significant demographic trends uh, that will stimulate the development and the interest and appetite for autonomous connected electric vehicles. How does car sharing address the issue of affordability, of being able to use an automobile? 
Uh, that your car, if you think about how much you actually use it, most people, it, it sits the vast majority of the time during it's the day. It's parked in the garage parked or in a parking lot at work. Okay. But so, so for the sake of argument, let's say 22 hours a day, it's not in use. And you're paying insurance on that, and you've got maintenance on that vehicle. Um, you have obviously the initial cost of the vehicle, which is very expensive, second only usually to a house. And depreciates very and quickly. And it depreciates very quickly. So uh, it, it's really not being utilized. If you're only use, utilizing it two hours a day, that means there's 22 other hours in the day that others could be utilizing it. Yeah. I could well imagine a, <clears throat> an ecosystem whereby a car maker would say, I'm going to find three families to own this car, depending on their movement, depending on their needs, right? I'm going to take the, that role in the business to identify those people who can actually coordinate the utilization of a car in the future. So that, to me, would be an advancement yeah. of the service offering that the car makers probably need to do uh, at some point. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you look at the statistics from AAA, they estimate what the cost of owning and operating an automobile is. A, just a traditional mid-sized car can cost you um, about 50 to 60 cents per mile. So if you drive 15,000 miles a year, that's about $10,000. And that doesn't include the cost of parking, which in many, many big cities is really uh, extravagantly high. So if you, if you add it all up, uh, the cost of owning and operating an automobile is beginning to be quite an issue for a lot of people. So that's what you're all talking about when we bring up this, this term mobility. It's, it's more car sharing and uh, different ways of owning or using a car than we do today. Yeah, I'd like to add a dimension. It's the need to interact with the cities in a more coordinated way. I think cities' needs need to be regarded from a different standpoint. And mobility precisely brings that opportunity. Namely, cities have routes, bus routes to offer, whereby you can add an energy dimension to the bus route and say, I want renewable energy to feed that route. And cities can actually, instead of trying to finance those buses, start to rent the access to the route over very, you know, 10 years. Right? So mobility to me is also the integration of cities in urban contexts, yeah. uh, as opposed to a car using the ecosystem. You turn, the, you turn the equation around, you have an ecosystem taking advantage of what it has and then making the cars a strategic asset of that situation. And I, and I think also the, um, these trends of shared vehicles and autonomous vehicles also will help stimulate the attractiveness of electric vehicles. The reason being is that if you think about a personal ownership model that, that is dominant today, when you decide to buy a car, you tend to think about the worst case scenario, oh, I need it to go 300 miles occasionally. And you may end up choosing not to buy an electric vehicle for that reason. But if, if your trips are increasingly just shared vehicle trips and they're pretty short distance, uh, many of those trips could be achieved with electric vehicles, a mm -hmm. fleet of electric vehicles. And perhaps that fleet has a, a vast majority of the vehicles being electric and maybe a few are internal combustion engine for those um, outlying trips. But if you're sharing cars, presumably they're being, they're, to, to Jim's point, they're not parked 22 hours a day. They're being driven a lot more, mm -hmm. and you still run into the issue of having to recharge. Yes. Yeah, we, we, at Qualcomm, we're developing wireless electric vehicle charging, and we believe in the model where you have frequent opportunistic charging rather than, uh, we call it snacking in a sense, rather than binge, binging at the end of the day and with an eight-hour charge. Uh, so the idea would be that you would uh, drop the vehicle off um, at the 
entrance to a shopping mall, for example, or your workplace, and you would charge it, and then some, the next person who picks up that vehicle drives it a short distance, and, and then it gets charged wherever they drop it off. So wherever you have charging spots inside, the, or parking spots inside the city, uh, you would have charging as well. So you'd have frequent charging during the day. And the beauty of connectivity is that you know before you get the vehicle if it has enough range to take you to where you want to go. So it addresses this whole range anxiety issue. And so if you can frequently charge the vehicle during the day, then you can, you can increase the utilization of these vehicles without draining the battery. That's very interesting. And of course, that comes back to what you all touched on earlier of this uh, electronic communication that's going to take place. And, and Jim Umtree is sort of spearheading an effort in Ann Arbor, Michigan on this, this concept that's called connected car. I've got to believe things like that Chris is talking about, of knowing ahead of time, does this car I want to share have enough charge, or where can I even go to pick it up, or where should I right. drop it off, plays in beautifully with what you're working on. Uh, yeah, where do I find a car, uh, or at least where do I find a car that has adequate charge for what I need, where I need to go, um, reserving that, perhaps, uh, as al and also trying to decide what's the optimal route in terms of if all the vehicles are connected with the infrastructure, uh, then the vehicle can then decide there's an optimal route. There's less traffic on one roadway, therefore I'll consume less energy to get to my final destination. We're starting to see some automakers stick their toe in the water, so to speak. Uh, BMW has a service, uh, actually a whole new brand called i. Everybody thinks that only refers to the electric cars it's coming out with. It, it's really a much bigger mobility services kind of effort. Uh, Daimler, you know, the, the parent company of Mercedes-Benz, has a, a car sharing program called Car2Go that uses the little smart cars. But what do you all think? Are, are the, the, the car companies doing the right thing by trying out these car sharing programs of their own? I think so. I, th I believe that the... the the trends of facing the vehicles in the future are going to be along five dimensions, uh, autonomous, connected, electric, shared, and small, especially for urban areas. So you take a small car, that's one step. You, you make it electric, that's a second step. You make it shared, that's a third step. You connect it, that's a fourth step. You make it autonomous, a fifth step. And when you achieve all of these five goals, especially in the context of urban driving, you're really addressing all of the challenges facing the city in terms of energy and if environmental issues, safety and congestion and parking issues, as well as accessibility for a broad range of people who may be disabled or aged or, or young or poor. So I think this is where the industry needs to go and some car companies are, are pushing into this more, more aggressively <coughs> than others. Go ahead. I was, uh, yeah, I think you know, we also have to think about you know, the societal impact and you know, both the, the changes in the technology will maybe change the way society acts, but also what society's needs are are changing what's going to be out on the road. And you'll start to see people who otherwise, what, even if they just couldn't afford a car in the past, will now be gaining access to transportation uh, that maybe never had it before because of where they, where they live. Um, but we'll also start to see some people, as other technologies come into play, um, you know, being able to video conference with someone, maybe even a less of a need for some segment of the population to move from point A to point B. So you've got different parts of the equation. Some, there's going to be some increased mobility and there might be a decrease in others. Um, and it's really not clear exactly how that's all going to play out. I think to your question that not all car makers know how to respond to that market transformation. 
<clears throat> in fact, a lot of them are very confused and are trying things out without really knowing where the revenue streams, that is where the customer's willingness to pay will actually reside. Um, and internally, uh, most car makers are fighting in terms of where do I locate this mobility service uh, entity? We're not designed to actually accommodate such a thing, right? The closest is probably the finance division that can deal with customers. Um, yet we've noticed that it's not the best place to locate, it, to locate uh, that service. So they have to rethink the way they <clears throat> are um, active in the marketplace. They have to rethink the way they actually interact with customers, uh, which is a new learning curve for them because, in fact, they don't interact with customers, right, car makers at the moment. They push the vehicles out to dealerships and expect the dealerships to do the work on their behalf. And now with the connected vehicle business and with a, a lot of other players trying to chime in um, <clears throat> from a data management standpoint and a customer relationship standpoint, um, they are facing a lot of pressure as well from the market. So two type of pressures, right? Outside players who want to play in and inside they need to restructure as well yeah. to make this work. Who's in the driver's seat, so to speak, in this technology? Would it be the daily rental companies which already deal with moving all kinds of cars and customers around? Is it uh, the car sharing companies like Zipcar? Or even Uber, which is uh, you know almost a taxi on demand kind of an approach. Hmm. Who do you think is going to lead this revolution into mobility? I, I don't know that anybody's in the driver's seat. Uh, I don't know that anyone's really figured out exactly what the needs are enough yet to be able to say there's one person leading the pack. I, I think it's going to be a combination. Companies like Zipcar clearly. Uh, conduct business today in a manner that's going to be somewhat similar to the way it's going to have to be conducted in the future. Large rental fleets have buying power with automotive manufacturers, so in some respects in, in managing these large fleets of vehicles. So clearly they have some know-how. Uh, what I've yet see, not to see is, you know, is, is, is one source, one kind of location where all of these different needs and understandings and, and technology all seem to come together. But it seems that that will emerge at some point. At some, time, at some point, it'll have to if, if mobility does transform the way we envision it to. I've got to, oh, sorry. You I just wanted to add, that there are some additional disruptive factors that I think make your question a little hard to answer at the moment. Let's just take, for instance, in the automotive industry, um, the 3D printing opportunity that seems to arise, right? I think it's going to shake up quite a bit of the supply base to a certain extent. Vehicles will be produced differently uh, in the future, manufactured probably without some of the very cost um, <clears throat> intensive uh, components such as painting and, and stamping. Um, and uh, therefore, we also need to look at the overall industry from, a, from an even deeper standpoint in order to determine who will be the winner in that market. You know, uh, I've, I've talked with the people at Relay Rides and at Zipcar, and, and they say that for every car that goes into a car sharing program, it obviates or reduces the need for 15 other cars. So it, it, it's a huge multiplier if what they're saying is true, and I gotta believe, I mean, they're in the business of it. And as we see car sharing become more popular, this whole concept of mobility become more uh, popular. I'm wondering, what's the balance? 
you know, for every car that gets shared, we can take 15 cars off the road. By the same token, if a car gets shared, it's going to rack up miles far more quickly and wear out a lot faster. Has anyone looked at where does this leave the automotive industry? Because my, my first blanche at it would suggest 10 years from now, 15, 20 years, we're going to need many fewer cars than we do today. Well, I think you also have to recognize that the, the, the places where car sharing is most popular are in dense cities um, where parking is extremely expensive and is a deterrent to car ownership. And those are cities where um, there's going to be a limit on the number of vehicles that the car makers can sell. You see it today. I mean, the car ownership in Manhattan is much lower than anywhere else in America, even though the people are very wealthy there. And in other countries like China, they're, they're by government dictat, yeah. they're trying to limit how many yeah. cars there so, can be in the city. So in a sense, you could argue that car sharing allows the car makers to continue at least selling vehicles into even the most densely crowded situations, which may not be possible with the personal ownership model or may not be sustainable with the personal ownership model. And to your point, the vehicles do get replaced probably uh, every two years instead of every 10 years if they're driven five times as many miles per, per day. So there's an opportunity to continue to upgrade these vehicles with new technologies, new connectivity experiences. So I think it's, it's a complementary um, uh, vehicle to the mainstream <coughs> or the personal ownership model. It's going to be accelerating at a much different rate and probably going to stay be more cutting edge technically than the, the, the mainstream vehicles because it has the opportunity to be recycled so much faster. Just to build on this, I think we will also see second lives of used cars in a different way than we see right now. So you will see after a lease agreement, vehicles being taken out of a Western country and then taken to a, you know, a rapidly growing city in Africa to do a special micro corporate car sharing program with the vehicles that are you know, two, three, four year old. You can take them to Ghana, Accra, um, for another two, three years, and yet leverage your asset over the, uh, a different life cycle than, than, uh, than in the past. Uh, I've got to believe, too, though, that uh, here, here's an industry that keeps putting in more and more manufacturing capacity. We're at, depending if you're counting medium and heavy-duty trucks or not, I, I, I think there's something like 84 million vehicles made a year. We're heading to 100 million. But maybe this technology would suggest we don't need to put in as much manufacturing capacity. Any thoughts on that? It, it's unclear. If, if the opportunity, the mobility is there and readily at hand, people may actually travel more because they, be, if it's so convenient. So in which case you may need more vehicles. You might be transporting more people, more miles. Um, and there's also gonna be need for commercial vehicles, delivery vehicles. Um, those things aren't going to go away. It's hard to envision uh, as much of a sharing kind of option for delivery or commercial vehicle operations. Yeah, I think Jim makes a good point. I mean, the cost of uh, most people can't afford to take a long taxi ride because the, the cost of paying the taxi driver is a significant fraction of the trip. But if you have autonomous vehicles that um, are you know, safe and, uh, and reliable enough to people to trust using, you could imagine a lot more trips, a lot more vehicle miles traveled occurring than today. And that may be an unintended consequence here. We, we, we enable electric vehicles, uh, but we may also enable more vehicle miles traveled. Um, you know, we may, um, we may have more people t uh, calling a vehicle to come to them, which whereas today you don't have that choice. 
uh, unless you have valet parking <laughs> and you have to walk to the car. So there's a lot of unintended consequences that may happen as we get towards autonomous shared vehicles. And, and we're painting a, a very positive picture here, uh, but I think it's important to recognize what some of the, the traps might be if we don't think about them up front. Such as? Such as, you know, this extra vehicle miles travel that people today uh, limit how far they want to commute to work. People typically uh, don't want to drive more than an hour each way on average. Whereas if, if they could feel productive or, or could rest in that time, that might be the only time of the day where they really can chill out and have <laughs> fun, so to speak. They may be quite willing to live further out from work because they, they can use that one hour to commute to do fun things. And so it may increase suburban sprawl. Or as work time, actually. They might oh, as well yeah. start to work or as you, soon as yeah. they're in the car. It could, it, you could be working in the car, and uh, it may change work-life patterns. So it, it just could change a lot of things about how we live. And the suburban's role uh, could increase, even though there's a trend to now towards people wanting to live more in the center, uh, because it's where a lot more of the uh, services are provided. So it's un unclear exactly what will happen when we get to autonomous vehicles. Um, so it could be a very positive thing, or it could, it could have some uh, side consequences that we're not very happy about. I think we're seeing it in a commercial delivery business, right? The, statistically, the amount of trucks making daily deliver, deliveries in a city has increased significant, significantly in the last five years, and this trend is going to keep going up. Yeah, if you think of something like Amazon Prime, Right. You, know, you pay $75 a year, I believe it is, and yeah. then you get free shipping. Right. Well, then, uh, you know, the what's the incentive for me to bundle multiple things I want yeah. to purchase? Not at all. Exactly. And so in, 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 so in some respects, while it's a convenience for me, uh, it probably is consuming a lot more energy in, you know, contributing to, you know, the fossil fuel uh, emissions yeah. in the environment. If, if I order and I go ahead and I place that order every time there's a product I want rather than bundling things. So there's a, there's a potential yeah. concern. Maybe people will also won't bundle trips. And probably one of the reasons why Amazon's looking at using little drones to make deliveries as well. Yeah. And it may add to con congestion because a lot more vehicles patrolling around with nobody in them, which doesn't happen today. <laughs> Chris, you mentioned that uh, somebody buying a new car today, it could cost them as much as $10,000 a year when you look at everything. What do you think that when we get to these shared cars or that becomes more popular, have you looked or done any look at what kind of savings there might be? I don't know the exact numbers. I'm sure Zipcar or other uh, car sharing firms have those numbers. Um, but especially in a, in a big city, you could be spending um, several thousand dollars a year on parking as well, Easily. on top of, of those numbers. Those numbers were, that AAA have uh, don't include parking. It's the cost of depreciation and insurance and maintenance and fuel, basically. And that can be about seven to $8,000 a year. So it's a significant amount of money. And um, you know, a, a, especially a lot of young people, it's one of the reasons, I think, why a lot of young people are thinking twice about buying a car at the moment. And when you think about uh, in the United States uh, and other parts of the developed world, you know, we, we are multiple car households. In fact, in the U.S. right now, there's uh, more than one automobile for every licensed driver. That's how many cars we have. So I could see, even if you're not a new car family, but a used car family, you may keep one and get rid of a couple of others and still save thousands of dollars a year in that. Perhaps. Yeah, but back, but back to that bundling point, you know, a family of four 
and I have two cars, I might all of a sudden become a family that has a need for four modes of transportation. Because when it's autonomous, you know, then I send my children to school, you know, one child in one direction and another in another direction in an autonomous vehicle. Now, as a family of four, rather than having two vehicles on the road, I've got four. And so it's back to Chris's point. You know, we have to be careful about uh, how this could ultimately lead to congestion. Well, I would think that you could plan out your day if, if you have that option. So yeah. the car takes one kid to the grade school and then comes back and takes the high school student to high, or vice versa. Yeah. And, you know, as I say, it takes dad to work and comes back and takes mom shopping. Or in today's world, it takes mom to work and dad shopping. <laughs> so, but, think, but, but just think about the way society is now. You know, we, 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 our lives evolve around clock time. And you know, unless you're going to get a significant portion of society to change, you're still going to have, you know, most of the folks are going to want to use those vehicles between 7 and 9 in the morning, and again from 3 to 6 in the evening um, on weekdays. And most of the vehicles, sure or otherwise, are still going to be sitting in the evenings uh, and not being utilized. How we address that lack of utilization is unclear. Hmm. So uh, we're down to the very end here, Jean-Francois. What advice would you give the OEMs? What should they be on the lookout for? Well, try to deal with your legacy in a way that will allow you to be more disruptively active out there. Um, it's very easy to stand on the statu quo and say, we've got agreements with the dealerships, and we can't do that much. I, I think one needs to think holistically um, and actually proactively work with various stakeholders and learn that language. And th that's a big portion of what I'm doing, really. Try to help the players, the car makers, learn the new language of communication with the new stakeholders out there. Real quick thought, can dealers play a role in this? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, dealerships could be um, a place where you might uh, pimp your ride in the future. With autonomous vehicles, they may not have to go in for a crash repair uh, like uh, cars do today, but there'll be so many more opportunities for, for customizing the vehicle. And I think that's a natural role that um, the dealers could play. Maybe also as shared vehicle centers or mm -hmm. and charging stations. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities for the dealerships to think out of the box here and take advantage of this future. I think this is going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, we, we all recognize we're on the verge of big changes. And uh, here I've got three experts. Nobody can quite identify where it's going. So it's... Boy, it's an open book for anybody who wants to jump into this field. Big business opportunity someplace in the future. But I want to thank you all for having come in here. Jim Sayer from UMTREE, the University of Michigan Transportation Research Institute. Jean-Francois Tremblay from Ernst & Young. Chris Baroni-Bird from Qualcomm. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank all of you for having watched.